Hello, and welcome to Seriously Pointless Conversations About Culture, the podcast where myself and a few of my friends get together and discuss nerdy things. Just a reminder, if you like what you're listening to, please subscribe to Seriously Pointless Conversations' YouTube channel, or you can find us on your favorite podcasting apps. Thank you for your support. Without you, none of this would be possible. Thanks for coming by. Now let's get into the episode. Hi, and welcome to Seriously Pointless Conversations About Culture, the podcast that brings you your weekly nerdy and gaming information. We're not really a news show, are we? We're just kind of like a uh, a show that just likes to talk about random crud, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, we're last decade's news. It's good. Hey, you know, that's what we're going for. <laughs> Talking about last decade's, um, today's episode, it might end up being a two-parter. We'll see here in a minute, because we have a... A prolific amount of information <laughs> to go through today. It's over uh, Red Alert, the uh, the amazing Westwood gaming series, uh, uh, the historic RTS that brought a lot of things into the forefront of uh, PC gaming, especially. So before we get into it, um, let's go over a little bit uh, about how you where you first encountered uh, Red Alert. You want to go first, James? Sure. Uh, I actually first encountered Red Alert, and this is going to be seriously nerdy. My Uncle John was upgrading one of the local Catholic school's internet services. Mm-hmm. And so after we spent the entire day rewiring their network, keep going. we of course sat down to have a LAN party in their computer lab. Because mm-hmm. back in the day, that was the only place you would have like 30 computers in one place. Yeah. So we installed bootleg copies of Red Alert 2 for you, on every for single computer old, in that yeah, lab. Young kids, ever boomers, definitely at this and point. And we played so. some like eight and ten person multiplayer. That was my first experience with that game, dude. So <laughs> it's funny you kind of bring that up. So that's where I remember you guys. Uh, I think I was there with you guys at one point. I wasn't at. I think I saw you guys playing it, but I was just like, you know, like I don't know what what is that? And it's kind of weird looking. But I vividly remember. So I, re- I vividly remember whenever uh, the Command and Conquer series came out mm-hmm. that uh, we were over at Chris Chris's house. Yeah, Chris Sire and I used to play because they had the two computers. There. Yeah, and he burnt me a copy of it. And I remember you guys had it on... Because I mean, I remember seeing it when you guys playing with it and not really thinking about it, but I remember he burnt me a copy... But I remember that he had had the label burnt onto it. Remember the image of mm. the TSI on it? Yes. <laughs> so I remember him burning that for me. And he also had one for the nod scenarios. Because at the point, back then, guys, it was, I, I mean, we're dating ourselves a little bit. But <laughs> things weren't on thumb drives. And you, a lot of times you had, like, multiple CDs you had to play and things like that. And so you had two different CDs for the, both of the campaigns. And I was like, I remember seeing that, and I'm like, it was like the Holy Grail. And I was just like, I played that thing to death. You really did. I mean, we just kind of sat around and killed each other, but you, like, played through all the scenarios and everything. I do. I remember so much so, actually. I loved it so much so, actually. They had a, we'll get into this a little bit. They actually released a, a remastered version, which I actually picked up last week. Oh, really? And it is, it holds up, dude. I, I had no idea how, how amazing it was, but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more, but... Um, we're actually going to be doing, now going to be focusing on directly on the Command and Conquer series today. We're going to be uh, dealing with it's kind of offshoot a little bit. I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of a little of a muddle of history, but I'll go into it a little bit. Um, it's uh, the Red Alert series, uh, which is by Westwood Studios. It's a real time strategy game uh, developed in November of nineteen ninety six. 
And it's actually considered uh, a prequel to the Command and Conquer series, which came out the year before. So in the Command and Conquer series, you have just, um, you have a GIA, is it GS, GSI, the Global Strategic Initiative, which Something is like essentially that. like the Allied, yeah. but then you have the Brotherhood of Nod, which is kind of like the bad guys, essentially, or mm. the World Domination Group. In this one, it's an alternative history uh, where uh, the Allied, you basically have the setup of Allied forces and uh, Soviet Union. So the Soviet Union has not like fallen down at all. It's actually bolstered and it's actually kind of advanced a little bit more in this in this alternate history. And they actually try to come in. They try to basically take over uh, mainly in Europe. So that's kind of the the the, the basic premise of it. It's a, just a, a kind of a generic alternate history. But they didn't even have, do you remember like they kind of put the weird things they throw into the first one. It has some weird stuff, like there's time travel involved, and it's... Oh, yeah, so, like, that's the big thing that they, I, we're kind of... Like, it's, it's kind of weird, because they have these really thematic, awesome, <laughs> you know, both both armies are just, the sprites are really, really amazing in that they have really, really clear, yeah. stylized imagery, and then... And you can clearly tell, like, yeah, which 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 faction is which. You can, and, and a lot of it is, you know, period-type stuff, where, you know, the Soviets have their big honking tanks. Yeah, their double-barrel <laughs> tanks, they're like, man looking things and and then you have the the, the alloy tanks are a little smaller but a little they're a little smaller, faster. faster and then you have some weird stuff thrown in like time traveling soldiers and giant tesla coils that zap your exactly, enemies exactly yeah and it's just a little like oh what's going on here like this is a little strange and you can we'll go into it obviously as we go on with the other games but you can tell that throughout the whole series like red alert one two and three they just they just crank it up to like eleven by the third one. It is they have some bizarre units and some bizarre technologies in there, and it is you're thinking you can tell like why they kind of like they're like we're gonna dip our toe into this a little bit, see how people <laughs> like. We're not gonna so crazy, you know, because Tesla coils are pos are plausible. Oh, you know, yeah. you can use it. You, you know, I don't know if it'll kill somebody, but I mean it can in a weird way. You know, if you depending on stuff, the science could be there. But it's not like outside the realm. The weirdest thing was the time travel stuff. Yeah. So, um... But it had a really, really well-developed story, especially for an RTS game, because a lot of oh, those yeah. back in the day were just a series of missions. They didn't have, like... Well, do you, like... Do you remember uh, playing uh, Warcraft, uh, Orcs and Humans? Yeah. So, it's it literally came out the same year as the Command & Conquer series, and it really didn't have a storyline. I mean, it was basically just, if you're the Orcs... Take over the humans. If the humans take over the orcs, you know, and the, exactly. I don't, I don't even know if it had a campaign at all or not. But I, I mean, I, I'm not without, sure if the first one did. I know. I know the second one did. The second one did. That was big. That was that was where they kind of pushed off. That's where Blizzard kind of like pushed into their stuff. But, but I was really just amazed the 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 kind of dedication and the uh, detail that they put into this. But before we start going into, it, we want to kind of uh, make sure we hit all of our points here. Um, the uh, Red Alert series originally uh, re originally released for the PC, um, which was Mac, DOS, and Windows 95. That shows how old we are. Um, <laughs> just, uh, like I said, I, we're dating ourselves immensely here. Um, but the it was so well received that it was actually eventually uh, ported over to the PlayStation, the PSP, and the P PS3. As far as I know... PS3, really? Yeah. Which wow. is... Yeah, I didn't think... I was like, that's a... That's a 
you know... That was like a decade and a half old by the time PS2 At that, came at out. that point, yeah. but I guess it was just so well-loved that people liked it. And as far as I know, I, did, I, I couldn't find anything online that showed that it was actually uh, ported over to like the Xbox or any other systems... As far as I could tell, it was strictly just released for uh, the PlayStation, as far as I could tell, hmm. which is kind of a strange thing. You would think... It's strange, yeah. You would kind of think that, you know, Windows would have, like, allowed them to put that on their, their Xbox, but maybe it just wasn't compatible. Back yeah. then, things were really weird, guys. It's not like it is but, today. But PlayStation 3, most of the things were releasing on all the different systems. Like, is PlayStation 1 and 2, and, like, the original Xbox, yeah, they were all exclusive stuff, but... Yeah, and I mean, that's just kind of one of those things. It's like you never thought that maybe, like I said, maybe it just wasn't compatible. That's the only thing I could think of. Like, know. it just maybe the hardware wasn't, you know, meshing with it or whatever it was. I can't, I don't, I don't know for it, sure. I don't know. It took them a long time to figure out how to do RTS games on a controller, and I still greatly prefer the mouse Absolutely. interface for RTSs. So, like I said, they I, just thought it wasn't worth the effort. No, absolutely. I'm 100% there. Like, I remember some of the guys, they'll play, um, even turn-based strategies, I just, I can't do it. It's kind of like with, uh, like, Civilization. They ported the newest one over to the Switch, mm -hmm. and a couple of the guys who work, they got it, and I'm just like, I, I tried playing it, and it's just not the same. It doesn't have the same amount of details, like, with, like, uh, be with like, information or, um, even just the, uh, graphic-wise. It's just, it's just res down, and I... It's just a preference, maybe. Maybe I'm just an old bogey. Yeah, I mean, there, it's just a very click-intensive game, and I just don't see how you can keep the same pace going with that interface. But I mean, anyway, I you, guess. Really, you really can't. Um, but anyways, uh, so after it was released in 96, it actually had technically three expansions uh, for it, which why it was so well-received, because they added... This is like before they really started putting out expansion packs for PC games, because a lot of times... They would just throw in the whole game, whole hammock. That's what you you get by one CD or one one game at a time, and it would have all the information, all of it right there. But they started releasing more and more uh, expansions, which added more units, more campaign maps, uh, maps, and um, additional like little, like little storylines and things like that. So they released Counter Strike and the Aftermath in '98, which I remember Aftermath and the Counter Strike uh, expansions because I actually got those from you guys. I borrowed those from yes, you guys. Yes, I remember, I remember that. So, but they also released Retaliations later that year in 98. I don't remember that one at all. I didn't remember the third expansion either. I must have missed that one. And like I said, that's, it's, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, being kids, we a lot of what we got was from, handed down to us from like older, like adults, uh, your dad or your uncle, people like that. Exactly. Or my uncle. I think we were, we might have been into Diablo 2 at that point. Maybe and we might have, might have been at that, that point. About which, right that's time. a whole other episode <laughs> we can get into, and we can show that love there. Um, but anyways, so after um, Westwood Studios was around for quite a bit of time, uh, uh, putting out updates and, and trying to push us, but obviously the, their biggest thing that they're known for was the uh, Red Alert and the Command & Conquer series. Um, but seeing as they didn't have as many hits after uh, the Red Alert series and the Command & Conquer series, they were actually acquired by Electric Arts in 2008, which everybody knows Electric Arts. They, they're they just a giant conglomerate that buys up smaller studios at this point. This was back when they weren't, you know, the devil incarnate, though. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> this, this is very true. And so They, they actually just... put out a lot of good, day, good games back in the day. Oh, absolutely, man. And um, But they actually... so. Talking about that, they really released a uh, remastered version 
of just commanding of just the Red Alert uh, series. I believe it was just Red Alert one uh, in two, November two thousand and eighteen. Um, so the cool thing about this, I was looking it up. They have all the original cutscenes that you were talking about, mm -hmm. and so if if you guys haven't played this before. This was just something that was unheard of. A lot of times they would do like maybe some short CGI'd um, uh, cutscene where it's like really clunky movements, but they did live action cutscenes in between each of the missions. Which was, like you said, totally unheard of. I mean, everyone was just doing like, uh, it wasn't even like a pre recorded cutscene. It was like <laughs> the in game models just with scripted movements. Exactly. And these were, yeah, he said full video motion. They had full sets. I mean, it was like a real production. Yeah, real actors. And they had the, they were actually using green screens on blue screen. Uh, it was, it was green, green screen still at the time. And they were using sets and they were actually using it. I was looking this up. Did you know they actually used. Um, uh, they didn't actually, they only hired one or two actors for the entire thing. Everyone else that's in those cutscenes, those are Westworld employees. <laughs> Every single one of them. And so they're like, they're walking, you're like typing out some code, you're like, you know, you're typing away, and they're like, hey, Frank, you're going to be in the movie today. And he's just like, okay. So like, here, go down and get a costume. <laughs> yeah, really. And you're just like, what? That is amazing. <laughs> so just like the, their one moment of glory, like they have, you look up them up on IMDb and that's their one credit. They have one appearance. <laughs> Frank, Frank the, uh, the coder, he's at one, you know, red alert, scene five or whatever it was. But yeah, that was one, that was one of the cool things because that's how you can tell that they put a, uh, a lot of love in these things is they were mm -hmm. like they actually just literally were like they got guys because they didn't have it in the budget to put these people to hire real actors except for one guy which we'll get into a little bit you remember you know kane from the yes. he's the one of the only ones that i could tell that was an actually paid actor and you can tell whenever you watch if you get bored sometime you guys watch any of the scenes he is so into like you can tell he's putting emotion into these into these lines it was intense and I, I really enjoyed it. He's actually like uh, in the background in a lot of the scenes in the Soviet stuff. So that's kind of where they, they, that's why they say this is a prequel to uh, the, the Command and Conquer series. Exactly. He gets more prominent as kind of the series goes on. Yeah. And you kind of, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but you can kind of tell that like after this, this one, they make a distinct impression saying um, in a lot of interviews, uh, Westwood, that the two series, the Command and Conquer series and the Red Alert series diverge from the original Red Alert game and you have a Command and Conquer series which is like Tiberium Wars, things like exactly. that. And then Red Alert 2 and 3 are their own games. And there are two different histories essentially. It's what they kind mm -hmm. of try to put in there. And the so. gameplay is actually pretty different in the two series too. So oh, absolutely. Surprisingly, and coming from the same company. You know, speaking of that, actually, so um, Command and Conquer, they did a lot of really interesting uh, techniques in here, which a lot of people consider pioneering for uh, a lot of the RTSs. So in the game, just kind of going a brief over uh, kind of what the gameplay is, you use um, harvesters to mine ore, which essentially is just money. Uh, and this is use this money to build up your bases and your units. So this, is, this, is, this is basic RTS strategy and gameplay yes. stuff here. But where it kind of like diverges a little bit, they actually have distinct. Westwood actually made it to where the the uh, buildings and the units have distinct uh, differences in costs and strengths uh, depending on when, which faction you choose. So if you get the Allies, uh, or actually both go with the Soviets first. If you have the Soviets, you have uh, stronger and more durable units, buildings, um, but they cost a lot more money and power, which. 
I didn't. I don't remember seeing that whenever I was younger. But you then know, again, you know, a lot of, you stupid, know how it is with I, details. <laughs> when you're a kid, you just kind of like the wash is over. And you're just like, oh, these guys are obviously stronger. I remember loving the big tanks and rolling and the Tesla over coils. <laughs> and the Tesla because coils. Because every time, or the flamethrower things, and every time, because every time one uh, infantry guy would get close and go, oh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one hit, one kill for infantry units. It was just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, the other thing is also about the Soviets is their naval capabilities were much more limited than the Allied forces. So you have that trade-off. Mm-hmm. So you'll you'll see that trade-off. So whenever you'd get, depending on what type of map you would get, if it was just straight land, no ocean, you obviously wanted to make sure, and you could tell ahead of time because whenever you went to the scene select or the map selection, you could pick which one you want depending on what faction mm-hmm. you use. Obviously, if you're going to be on the land all the time, you would just want to be straight Soviets. And knowing that, you could do a lot of things uh, such as like the Soviet tank rush, which was a huge, uh, uh, very popular tactic during uh, like multiplayer, during multiplayer scene. Because at this time, yeah. it was they did a lot of land like tournaments and things like that, mm-hmm. which is like I guess you would call a precursor to StarCraft, um, which yeah. is what came out with Blizzard came out with. Uh, I don't even know how many years later, because when the store probably closer to two thousand ish, maybe. Yeah, it was a couple of years later. Yeah, I know that, and then that's when that's. I want to say StarCraft is like Red Alert Two era. It was a little bit later. It was just a little bit later, and that's yeah. you could tell that's when the uh, RTS competitive scene really blew up, especially over like over in Korea and places like that. It was it's huge now. Like it's oh yeah, it's ridiculous. Not so much here in the U.S. We do a lot more like. Uh, shooters and things like that here, but mm-hmm. it is enormous over there. I had I had no idea until I started uh, trying to play online, and I couldn't get a match with anybody from America. I remember I was playing the newer StarCraft, and I couldn't get a match with anybody. I was always getting paired with Koreans, and they were just kicking <laughs> my butt over and over again. And finally, I was just like, I'm done with multiplayer. Well, people are obsessed done. with StarCraft. Which I mean, is great. Yeah, no, there was, uh, in college, the professor taught a course called The Calculus of StarCraft, it was an entire college course about mathematically determining the best strategies for StarCraft. That's that's great. <laughs> I, I, my hat comes off to him. That's amazing. And you know you were paying attention, though. The whole exactly. time you were just like, wow. this is As opposed to like, we're going to throw some numbers on the board and just go, there they are. Here are nerds. Pay attention. StarCraft. And every one of you guys were like this. Except for that one guy in the back that was never into computer games or whatever. <laughs> like, I don't know how, but whatever. Yeah. Anyways, so, but kind of going off uh, uh, the different uh, uh, things that they threw in there, the West would actually put in something that I hadn't really seen before, which was um, superpowers, mm-hmm. which uh, you actually, so if you were the Soviets, you would build uh, the Iron Curtain, which is superpower, which basically it temporarily made any of your units uh, invulnerable to hit for a very short period of time to any damage. Uh, so the weird thing I saw about that, though, I remember... If I remember correctly, if you put it on the, if you were being attacked at the time and uh, they had, inf- the enemy had infantry infantry units, it would actually kill them. So I remember, try- I tried this the other week when I was playing on it, and it like, it straight up just kills the infantry units on the other team. But it keeps <laughs> yours alive for some weird reason. I never got that. Yeah, I don't think I noticed that back in the day. Uh, well, I tried strange. it. I, well, I, re- I, vivid- I kind of like, I had a, a vague memory of that at one point, and I was just like, what? Like, like that can't be right, and they couldn't do that. But no, they st- it still works. It and I was just like, them. I'm like, this is great. So if you're getting bum rushed by uh, the Allied forces, and they can just crank out infantry guys like super fast, 
Mm-hmm. They, it's a great way to like just smoke them real fast and get rid of that uh, uh, push they're trying to go for. Because their infantry is a lot better than the Soviet ones. They do, right. yeah, they do have. So if you're um, if you're Soviets, you have a lot of. Uh, you'll just have the basic infantrymen, and you'll have. Um, I believe they're grenadiers. I think that's what they have. Yeah. And so you have a lobbying motion. If you have, and so it's a little bit more of an AOE. If you have, if you're allied, you still have the infantry units. But you have uh, bazookas. Yeah. And so they actually do a lot more damage to tanks Mm -hmm. than the grenadiers do. And they're more direct. But they do, like, almost no damage to uh, infantry units if you're a bazooka man. Did you have the guard dogs in Red Alert 1 or was that 2? Yeah, you have them in Red Alert 1. Yeah, because they were rebuilding a bunch of the guard dogs because they were good at taking out the infantry. Yeah, I don't remember if the Soviets had them or you both. I think you both had them, I think both had them. I can't remember. I'd have to look that up. But um, talking about that, the the Allied uh, differences between the Soviets and Allies... Uh, allied forces units. Um, the Allies, obviously, like I said earlier, were much cheaper in regards to money and power, but they were substantially weaker than the Soviets. But where they really shined, and I don't know if you remember this or not, they're the naval units. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the um, uh, the cruiser? That the enormous thing that it's the biggest boat that you can make mm-hmm. on there, and you can literally shoot across the map to like, kill rid- things. It was ridiculous. <laughs> so if there was like, do you remember there was like if there was any body of water, and you could build a base, mm-hmm. you would build or a naval uh, construction yard, you would build that, and you would build as many cruisers as you could, and you would just like just rain hell down on the Soviets <laughs> because that was your ultimate winning strategy at that point. In my yeah, opinion. I mean you didn't need anything else. He really didn't, because you didn't have a lot of air support and things like that. Um, but, man, if you did that, it was like surface-to-surface, surface, nothing could beat it. It was just amazing mm-hmm. to watch. Um, but the Allied actually had um, the uh, really interesting superpower, uh, unlike the, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess you would call the Soviet superpower somewhat somewhat interesting, but it was more of just like an invulnerability thing. The Allied, they kind of went off the... Um, premise like they do in the like they showed in the cutscenes you know what they with the time travel and things like that mm-hmm. they did chronosphere yeah. which was more of a uh, teleportation device is more of what it was so that was a really cool mechanic it was. and it didn't matter i remember it showing that if you it didn't matter if you had even uh i guess the word i'm looking for if you had hadn't discovered the, the 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 portion of the map yet. no you just picked a spot you just picked a spot and sometimes i remember if you did it, you could actually kill your units sometimes, depending <laughs> on like where you put it at, and you could actually like. But a lot of times, yeah, if you the, teleport the, a tank into the water, it just dies. It just <laughs> dies. I remember that, but I remember a lot of times you could literally just say, "I'm on this set, this corner of the map." They're obviously on the opposite corner of the map because that's just mm-hmm. that's what they did in those games. I don't know why it was just really basic. You always started on the opposite side. Absolutely, um, but uh, you can tell they actually they actually did some really interesting things though later on. Um, Especially in the in the multiplayer, so you know how even if the um, uh, the Allied forces and the Soviets had their differences, you know, they actually kind of like even made it a little bit more uh, individualistic with the uh, countries, depending on uh, whenever you play multiplayer. So if you were like Germany, um, you would have greater firepower, and if you were England, you had better durability. France faster fire rate. Uh, Russia had lower costs on their units, and Ukraine had faster movement speed. So if you're playing in the multiplayer, it even diverged a little bit more. Yeah. So if you could imagine, like, do you, can you imagine, like, if they had today's resources and they could build this game, 
how much further they can make and like how much more diverse they can make it. I'd love to play it. It'd be great. I mean, no, it's kind of like it's kind of like if you're gonna pick uh, play Overwatch nowadays, mm -hmm. you 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 have so many uh, different types of like tanks to choose from. Yeah. I'm like, you can literally be the, the, the melee wall character, Reinhardt, or you can be mm -hmm. the, the turret. Who's the, who's the, she's an android, she's the turret one, but she can throw up a uh, oh, shield. Arisa. Arisa, that's who it was. But I mean, you can literally, there's so many different like vari variations on it. They kind of take that um, variety, I guess, they take that, uh, that uh, 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 ideal of variety is the spice of life, essentially. And know? this was kind of the beginning of that, because before this, I mean... You know, because I want to say, what, Total War might have had two factions, I think? Oh, Lord. I don't even remember playing Total War. Yeah. That's been, I, yeah. I think the first one that I ever played was, I think it was Rome Total War. Yeah. I don't remember where that one, that one came out, though. Yeah, that was a different one. I'm trying to think of something else. It's an older one. It's kind of the same era as Red Alert. It might have been, because I, yeah. I did play, I was not as into RTSs as you guys were initially. Mm-hmm. I kind of had to play catch up a little bit, and <laughs> at that point in my life, I did not have access to as as the night I guess you would call the niceties of a good computer. <laughs> it took us a while to convince your parents that they needed one. And, and then I remember, <laughs> I remember at one point, I literally just went out and bought a uh, a graphics card and just shoved it in that HP that my mom and dad had. <laughs> oh gosh! And I remember, I remember doing that, and you're like, "Yeah, it'll work." You're, we were like. Seventh to eighth grade or something like that. Yeah. Because I remember you had this is my first. That's the first time I'd ever put a new component in a computer, and I remember you telling me yeah, it's fine, it's fine. I did it, but Dad's like, "What the hell did you do to this?" And I'm just like, <laughs> "I'm like, it works better," and it's just like just bogging it down because it's like, "What, what did 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 you do to me?" It's just like dying. But it I was. The, I think I, the motherboard didn't support it in the end not. or something. Or who knows? But I was, I was just, I was like, this will work. I just remember doing that because you're like, it'll be fine because you wanted me to play all these games with you, and I just, I just remember mom and dad ended up getting a new computer. That helped me out a lot. So, so. Anyways, talking about stories, that, that so we're gonna go over a brief synopsis. Well, maybe not a brief synopsis of the of the plot of the whole thing. So bear with me for a little bit, guys. So um, Red Alert, like I said earlier, takes place in a parallel universe. Uh, so the whole premise is at the Trinity site in New Mexico, which is where they dropped the A bomb in 1946. Albert Einstein pre pre prepares to travel uh, backward in space time, which is we were how we were talking about the um, uh, uh, time travel a little bit. Um, he activates his experimental time machine to find himself in Landsberg, Germany on December 20th, 1924, where he meets a young Adolf Hitler just after the latter's release from uh, Landsberg prison, which is where he actually wrote Mein Kampf. Yeah. So that's kind of where he solidifies his role or how he, what he's going to do in the, within the, uh, the Socialist Party. Um, so following a brief conversation between the two, Einstein shakes Hitler's hand, which erases him from the timeline. I don't know how that ex how that works. If you could just like go back in time and just like shake somebody's hand, they disappear. That would be super like bad. I'm, I'm like awful. In my yeah, opinion. and kind of the ethical implications are a little. I don't know. You kind of get in the butterfly effect question. Yeah, I'm like, what do you do instead of going to bother Hitler? You go to Stalin and you're like, he's a baby, and you like wiggle his hand and he poof disappears. Well, and that's the thing though. I mean, because you think about history. I mean, yeah, Hitler was an influential figure, but he stepped into the space that was there. Absolutely. It's like if if you could hypothetically get rid of him, would it really change that? 
much. No, I'm like, I mean, we I can't mean, know the answer to this, but and you, you kind of wonder. Know. I, in my opinion, you somebody else would have stepped, would have stepped up and taken over his, and taken over his mm-hmm. spot, and it could have been, it could have been better for us, and it, or it could have been worse. And there's no telling. That's why they're all hypotheticals, unfortunately. Exactly. I think we, and now we're getting way off topic, but I know, yeah. I, know, <laughs> I feel yeah. like in history we like to talk about great people and great persons. That that zeitgeist kind of exactly, idea. and it, it makes for great stories. But you kind of wonder, really. How much is how much is you know just circumstance and people stepping into yep. the space that's available for them? Is it is it and how much it really is down to that individual drive and spark? Exactly. So yeah, like that's and that's that's a huge that's a huge topic <laughs> that people are that philosophers have been talking about for years. Oh yeah. And I'm not even gonna try <laughs> and, and, and run into that because I I for one am a working class individual. I'm not that smart. <laughs> and I'm not gonna try. So, uh, but anyway. So after uh, Einstein basically makes Hitler uh, uh, vanish from his uh, existence, uh, Hitler's uh, death actually prevents him from rising to power as a leader of the Nazi Germany, which creates a new timeline. Without Nazi Germany, the Soviet Union grows powerful under the rule of Joseph Stalin. Uh, The USSR seizes land from China, then invades Eastern Europe to achieve Joseph Stalin's vision of a Soviet Union stretching across the entire Eurasian landmass. In the response, the countries of Europe, including an already rearmed Germany, form the Allied nations and start a guerrilla war against the invading Soviet army. Over the course of the game's story, the Allies and the Soviets fight for control over the European mainland in an alternate World War II. So, like you said, it's kind of one of those things. It's like, sure, did they prevent World War II? No, they kind of just, and, and, and according to this, they just kind of like... Uh, 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 so it's pro- like so Germany's not going to be that wall between you know Eastern yeah. Europe and the Russians. Yeah. And so now they have to fight each other directly. Which is essentially what the Cold War was. It was just a, it was yeah. just it was like you said it was a, it was a Cold War, but it was just it was just pushed off a little bit for a few years because we had World War Two that occurred, and we had to have the Axis powers fighting the Allied powers instead of the Allied powers fighting the USSR powers. Yeah. So that's that's kind of what you're talking about a little bit, and, and, and it's just like you said, it's did it really change anything? Is it different? A little bit, but anyway. So the interesting thing that they actually put in this game on that storyline is that depending on who you play, you have two alternate endings. So a lot of games before then, even if you had either one of those ending, didn't matter who you played, there would be one singular ending. Yeah. Normally, and they would have a um, a very a very straightforward. This happened. This person died. This person won. That's it. Yeah. So in this, they have two separate storylines depending on who you play. So in the Allied ending, uh, following the siege of Moscow, an Allied platoon uh, discovers Stalin buried alive in the rubble of the Kremlin. As they begin attempting to remove the debris from the fallen Soviet leader, General Stavros, uh, who's actually the guy that, uh, if you're the Soviet. Uh, commissions. He's the guy that's giving you all the orders to basically go do this, go on these missions, because he calls you commander, and that's who he. That's you're basically underneath him. Uh, General Stavros unexpectedly enters the room and stops them. He convinces them that they saw nothing and orders them, orders them to leave the premises. Stavros then scoffs, stuffs a handkerchief into Stalin's mouth before covering his head with a large stone and walking away. This ending leads into the game's expansions and its sequel, Command & Conquer Red Alert 2. 
Mm-hmm. So if that if that were to occur, he's basically just stepping into the Stalin spot, which is essentially exactly because like it is in most Soviet uh, regimes or in that Soviet regime. You were, I might not know how well you are familiar with the with the history of them. It was literally like. Once one of them started to go down the drain, the leaders started to go down the drain. They all started to start playing like dogs, waiting for their for their moment to attack and take over, basically to solidify power. And Definitely. it's it, it was a lot more cutthroat than people you know actually you know understand. So, but uh, actually, and so in the Soviet ending, uh, as the Soviets celebrate their victory in the newly captured Buckingham Palace, why of all places they're like <laughs> we're gonna go to Buckingham Palace. I don't know. It's a great visual, I guess. But I, I guess, you know, they're like, they're sitting in the queen's chair. Who knows? But anyway, Stalin... Well, I'm like, why England? I mean, you... I mean, yeah, it's a great seat of power, you know, for during that time frame. During, you know, the World War Two, it had a lot of power. But, like, I mean, I guess, I mean, it would be really hard to try to do a bigger map, I guess, to have them attack the U.S. at the time. Maybe. Well, I was just thinking, like, if you're going to pick a... A spot in Central Europe. I mean, go to France or something. I mean, at least we'd go with France. You, you could know? do Paris or Versailles or something. But or something bigger, you know. Mm-hmm. But who who knows? You know, that probably should... just an English spot fit better with American audiences. Yeah, probably. Man. So, anyways, Stalin commands the 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 commander, which is you, uh, commends. I'm sorry, commends the commander, uh, which is you, but is poisoned by Nadia, who in that game she's kind of like their spy character. Yeah. Um, she actually guns him down as the poison overcomes his body. Following Stalin's death, Nadia tells the commander that the Soviet Union is now under the rule of the Brotherhood of Nod, who plan to return to the shadows again and reemerge in the 1990s, leaving the player as a puppet ruler of the USSR. Ready to do the Brotherhood's bidding the foreseeable, for the foreseeable future. She is betrayed and shot in the back by Kane, who reveals to Comrade Chairman us that he is a true mastermind. So, like you said, it's you see him in the background mm-hmm. the whole time, kind of uh, doing his thing, and you kind of say to yourself, you know, uh, you know, like what is this? What is this guy doing here? What is that? You know, yeah. I don't really get it, but you know, but luckily, like at the end there, you you really see that they really set it up for the Command and Conquer series mm-hmm. and the next Red Alert game that they get into. Yeah. So, and that was cool because this was a gaming dynasty. I mean, it was big. Oh, absolutely. Um, but it was just it was just kind of an amazing like, kind of thing that they had there because they, they they threw all that stuff in there with with the subterfuge and you know the Brotherhood and they they clearly just spell it out and they're like the Brotherhood of Nod, and and, and you don't see that in a lot of other games that like you know uh, want to try and do offshoots and things like that. And you kind yeah. of, you kind of think to yourself a little bit like did they. Did they have this pre-planned that they wanted to do two different series? I mean, you have to wonder. Because uh, they definitely made two different series of games, and they explored different design space in both of them. So, I mean, they really do. I mean, one is just... I mean, they definitely laid the groundwork at the end of the game. Oh, Were yeah. they already making them when they did it? I mean... I mean, I'm sh- I don't know. That's the thing. Because, I mean, there's, there's a significant amount of time between the first game and the second game... So, and I'm trying to remember, I'd have to look into um, the Command Conquer series, not just Red Alert series, but there is probably, let's see, um, 95 and then 2000, which is when the second game came out, and we'll go yeah. over that here in a little bit, but th- that's a significant, that's a five-year period, and back then, these games, they were turning them out, 
Yeah, lot. development times were not like the five year type development times we no. see now. They were so a I year would, or two tops. I, quick games. I would think that they probably had this planned out to where they could have um, put out the uh, next Command and Conquer. I think it was Tiberium Wars. Is that the one? I think so. Or Tiberian Sun or Wars. I can't remember which one it was. Or Command and Conquer 2. I can't remember what it was yeah. called, but I had to look. We could go over that in a whole another episode. But, um, but anyway, so. This this game was so well liked and so well received um, that obviously it was huge. It got a uh, average rating of about eighty five percent on most for most critics, which you know during that time frame that's that was pretty good considering as many publications now they have nowadays that review games. Obviously, well, this is back included. when the this is back when the gaming magazine was king. I mean, oh, absolutely, PC PC gamer or. Uh, Nintendo Power or whatever it was, you know. I mean, there was lots of web forums and stuff, but there wasn't like these unified Metacritic scores or like no. some on Steam score where you can instantly see how much everyone well, likes top it. Of, yeah, that was top of it. There's so many. There was a significant amount of people that weren't on the internet as much as say PC gaming nerds or PC nerds in general. Well, no, but you PC would. enthusiasts even. Yeah, yeah. not even about you, but we played a lot of PC games, but I didn't subscribe to those magazines. No. We just saw that things were coming out. They used to advertise a bunch of movies, yeah. and well, and then you would just go to the store and buy it. You would just buy it, but you wouldn't even be able to, you know, you'd have to look it up either off like a, either like a magazine or a, or like a, or a television spot or something like that, because you wouldn't, at this time, YouTube, I don't even think YouTube existed at this point. No, that was 2000s, I think, that YouTube Yeah, so you couldn't look up a review, you could look up a review on, on online, but you wouldn't be able to look it up on YouTube, and, and you wouldn't, unless you specifically were looking for Red Alert reviews, it was not as easy to find something like this. You had to look through, like you had to type in the website and then look up through the website to find that particular review. I remember mm -hmm. it, it was a lot harder to do. It wasn't like nowadays where you just go to Google and it's like blah, blah, blah. Well, and that actually come, brings to mind something we could do in a future episode. Remember all the different gaming rumors that used to go around? Like uh, you go to GameFAQs or something and people would just post up what they, you know, supposed secrets or cheat codes and stuff and... I mean, that's a great was, website. I still was, go to that. Oh, it's great. <laughs> I mean, if you guys... Anything like N64 and older is top-notch on there still. The oh, new yeah. stuff hasn't really translated to GameFAQs as it's well. A, it's hard. I mean, because one, it's not closed-ended, and it, a lot of what they put on there is just... It's, it's Word docs, essentially. Well, yeah, and the the newer stuff, if you go like on uh, like the PC Gamer webpages and yeah. stuff, they have their own guides, and they're obviously... Yeah. These click-based wikis where it's, you know, trying to display as many ads as possible. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This I was mean, back when it was just a giant, like, you know, one megabyte Word document, which oh, was yeah, nowadays, and Well, nowadays, the things you have to go on to, to get any kind of information to figure out how to, like, do certain trophies and things. Like, mm -hmm. I always go to, like, um, it's called PlayStationTrophies.com is what mm -hmm. I go to because I have to go through, like, a checklist, especially to find out, excuse me, what kind of game you're looking for. It's basically just like a checklist to get through because if you're mm -hmm. like, I'm going to get that platinum trophy, tr platinum trophy because I really like this game, which doesn't happen very much anymore because I don't have all that much time as much. I'm sure you understand. Yeah, no, I understand. And so you're just like, I'm going to try to get as much out of this as quickly as possible. So it's just, it's a really interesting concept. Um, so also, in, in regards to the, how well it's sold, you can kind of tell um, by just uh, the, the numbers that they, they, they posted. Uh, so in, in by 97, uh, 1997 that is, they had 2 million copies sold. So that's, if you guys understand, um, if you guys are younger and things like that, if you don't understand this, 
they just hard copies. There was no like digital sales at this point, so you, that's a lot of units to move for a small developer. Well, like and that. in '95, PCs were not the home fixture they are now. No. I mean, it was a significant luxury item to own a PC at the time. And even getting into yep. the late 90s, most people did not have what I'd call a game-ready PC. No. They didn't ship with graphics cards and the well, chipset stunk. Well, a lot of and nowadays so, people don't even have really PC-ready games. I mean, you can play some games. Like, if you want to play something like like, like an MMO with like low-res like low graphics or something yeah. like that. It's doable. Like, you can play World of Warcraft pretty much on any kind of game, any any PC that you want. It's just kind of really low graphics, probably, <laughs> because that's just, it's just built for accessibility, which is, yeah. that's, that's the model they are behind. But, it just, yeah, like you said, though, it's, they just did not have game, our PCs were not just made to have that kind of power yet. They were made for... Uh, they were just really taking over the office space, and exactly. they were trying to... They were pushing them as a, hey, you can get on the internet, you can do your taxes, you can write documents and letters, and that's the type of space they were kind of getting into. So, if yeah, if you ever get bored, and, or if you ever are ever out in California around the um, uh, Santa Rosa area, mm -hmm. there is an amazing, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the a museum okay. that I cannot remember what the name of it is, but it is basically like the Computer Technology Museum. It is IT, uh, Intel, I think, no, it's IBM, uh, okay. basically operates and owns it, but they basically, uh, put it on. They have some of the original, like, uh, uh, data, uh, servers and things like that. Oh, gosh. It is so cool to watch. <laughs> but, and also talking about, like, these giant cables that they use. So, like, these USBs that we have nowadays that can move, like, gigs of, mm -hmm. like, data, you can look at it. We're getting super sidetracked here, but they these giant cables that are like they're as thick as my arm, my my forearm. Mm -hmm. uh, which, if you guys don't know, I really work out. So, anyways, no, <laughs> you're like, yeah, I know. I'm gonna plug myself there. Anyway, so these things are super freaking thick, and they move like maybe like a hundred k. I mean, they were slow transfer speeds, but they're it's just amazing to see kind of the the way we've come, but. If you ever get bored, guys, go out there. It's it's a great place to go and see. My wife actually, uh, that was one of the things she had it as a surprise for me when we went out there. To visit. Oh, really? That's so I, I had no idea, and she's like, "Hey, you want to go out to this?" And I was like, "I was like, what the hell is this?" And I'm like, <laughs> "I was just like, I was like a kid in a candy shop. Oh, I was I just bet. like, like, what is this?" <laughs> and they're like, "I was like, and these little kids are like, mommy, what's this?" And I'm like, "Shut up, kid. Mom, what's that?" <laughs> That's exactly what it was like, man. It was great though. Anyways, so um, kind of kind of wrap up uh, the Red Alert uh, one, um, and uh, so like I said, it was so well received. I actually won Best Strategy slash War Game in '96 uh, by at the Spotlight Awards, which which is kind of like a predecessor for some game awards. Mm -hmm. Game game awards, wow. So uh, overall, I mean, I always really have. I've had I have fond memories of uh, Red Alert too. I have yet to. I mean, I started pre-playing it a little bit, and I remember playing it on a hard because you know I'm like thinking how hard, how bad is this going to be? It definitely, I it's a lot more punishing than I remember, which is great. Yeah, it's not as forgiving as some of these newer uh, RTS games. Mm -hmm. You can slip up a little bit, but man, you just you give them an inch, and they take a mile <laughs> on on those things. And it's Railroad just Two is the best. That's. That was my favorite game, and three two. That's where I really got. Oh into my it. god! So we'll we'll we're gonna take a short break, guys, and we'll get back into it. Um, but we will uh, shortly talk. Start talking about uh, Red Alert two, 
um, which is the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, wow, I'm going to have a brain fart here, is the successor. That's the, successor. Word, that's the word I'm sequel. looking for. The sequel, you know, uh, uh, to Red Alert 1, uh, and we will get back to it in just a minute. If you're interested in keeping up to date with new episodes on our channel, add us on any of your favorite podcasting apps, or subscribe to our YouTube channel at Seriously Pointless Conversations. If you have questions or concerns, please email us at seriouslypointlessconvo at gmail.com. We appreciate any feedback. Thank you for listening to our show.